0: Good morning. Good morning. Who could possibly have more reason to have a daring faith for 2016 than those who know Jesus? And that's what we're going to talk about this morning. If you have your Bibles, you can turn to Numbers chapter 13. Don't hesitate. Take a look at that table of contents to find your way there. Numbers chapter 13, well, that'll take us all the way to chapter 14. Also grab your sermon notes out, a couple of verses I need to set you up with. The first one is found there on the top of your notes, Romans 1.17, for in it the gospel, that is, that's what he's talking about here. So the gospel, in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith or to faith as it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. So what it's telling us is that the gospel shows us how God makes us right with him and it begins and ends with faith and so it's showing us the importance of faith. Faith is really, really important. If you want to connect with God, if you want to know God, if you want to grow in your relationship with God, it's about faith. Next verse on your notes, Hebrews 11. Anybody know what Hebrews 11 is? What chapter is that? It's a faith chapter, and so Hebrews 11 chapter, uh, verse 6, it says, more, uh, it says, and without faith, it is impossible to please god or please him for whoever would draw near to god so if you want to draw near to god if you want to have intimacy with god that's what's life that's really what life is all about there's not a more soul satisfying life liberating experience than to know god to experience him so if you want to draw near to god you must believe that he exists so you got to have but you got to have more than just a general idea that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him and so faith here is, is really important once again telling us faith is really important to our lives it's more than a an agreement with facts in the head it's also an appetite for god in our heart that exceeds all other appetites. What's the what's the reward? He says those he rewards those who seek him. So there's a passion for God. There's a desire for God, and uh, the reward is an incomparable life liberating, soul satisfying relationship with God. So here's where we're headed this morning. So that kind of lays the foundation. You can see that faith is really really important, and uh, we're going to pray. Then we're going to look at this text. And then we'll unpack these notes, and we're going to define what faith is, and then we're going to look at the difference between having eyes of fear versus eyes of faith, because we're going to read a story in the Old Testament where the nation of Israel was standing really uh, right at the edge of the promised land before they went into the promised land. Remember that story when they sent in uh, the 12 spies and there were 10 that came back with a report of fear. They had eyes of fear. And there were two that came back with eyes of faith. And, and it's going to help us to see how are you approaching 2016. Are you going to approach 2016 with eyes of fear or eyes of faith? That's where we're headed with it. Would you bow your heads with me? Let's, let's begin with a word of prayer. And then, as I said, we will take a look at this text and unpack these notes. God, we are delighted to be here today. We absolutely love you. We love your presence. And by grace, through faith in Christ Jesus, we are made right with you. By faith, we grow, are made whole and mature in our relationship with you. Without faith, it is impossible to please you. And in fact, you reward those who diligently seek you. And so we pray this morning through the study of your word, the work of your Holy Spirit, that you would increase our faith. Give us eyes of faith to see the plan you have for us, plans to prosper us, not to harm us, plans to give us a hope and a future as it tells us in Jeremiah 29, 11. Help us to see your invisible hand working for our good. Hear your inaudible voice of love and truth guiding us. And may we experience your inexplicable yet undeniable, soul-satisfying, life-liberating presence, giving us a daring faith for 2016. We pray these things for your glory in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. Take a look at this text. Now, as I stated... Now Moses led the nation of Israel out of Egyptian bondage, they had been in Egyptian bondage for 400 years, so they're out of Egyptian bondage, they want, they've kind of gone through the wilderness, it's taken them close to two years to get to this point, they're on the prefect, uh, right on the, just entering into uh, the doorway of in, entering into the promised land, and right on the river's edge, and so they send in a team, a reconnaissance team, to, to bring back a report. And, and as I read through this, quite a lengthy text, but I thought it was really important for us to look at, and then we'll keep coming back to it throughout the, throughout the teaching. But uh, see if you can identify the eyes of fear versus eyes of faith, the people with their report, starting at chapter 13, verse 25. At the end of the 40 days, they returned, so these are the spies from spying out the land, and they came to Moses and Aaron and to all the congregation of the people of Israel in the wilderness of Paran at Kadesh, and they brought back word to them and to all the congregation and showed them the fruit of the land... And they told him, we came to the land to which uh, you sent us. It flows with milk and honey, and this is the fruit. So they were overwhelmed by the fact, this is really a prosperous land. This is a wonderful land. But you'll notice in verse 28, however, the people who dwell in the land are strong and the cities are fortified and very large. And besides, we saw the descendants of Anak there and the Amalekites dwell in the land of the Negev and the Hittites and the Jebusites. And I mean, they're just going through this whole list of obstacles that they're facing. So this is obviously the 10 who are giving the report from their eyes of fear. And it says, "...and the Amorites dwell in the the hill country, and the Canaanites dwell by the sea and along the Jordan." But notice verse 30, "...but Caleb quieted the people before Moses and said, Let us go up at once and occupy it, for we are well able to overcome it." So here's the eyes of faith. Then the men who had gone up with him said, We are not able to go up against the people, for they are stronger than we are. So they brought to the people of Israel a bad report." Of the land that they had spied out, saying, The land through which we have gone to spy it out is a land that devours its inhabitants, and all the people that we saw in it are of great height. And, and there we saw the Nephilim, the sons of Anak, uh, who come from the Nephilim. And we seemed to ourselves like grasshoppers, and so we seemed to them. That's an interesting perspective. So they're kind of showing their own personal identity, but also projecting their feelings on these people. We'll talk about that. Verse uh, 1, chapter 14. Then all the congregation raised a loud voice, and the people wept that night. And all the people of Israel, grumbling against Moses and Aaron, the whole congregation said to them, Would that we had died in the land of Egypt! This is crazy. I mean, this this is asinine for them to say that. They were in slavery for 400 years. They were delighted to be set free and now they're wanting to go back to, to Egypt. Or would that we had died in the wilderness. Why is the Lord bringing us into this land to fall by the sword? Our wives and our little ones will become prey. Would it not be better for us to go back to Egypt? And they said to one another, Let us choose a leader and go back to Egypt. Then Moses and Aaron fell on their faces before all the assembly of the congregation of the people of Israel. And Joshua the son of Nun and Caleb the son of Jephunah, who were among those who had spied out the land, tore their clothes. Just their distress and anger. And said to all the congregation of the people of Israel, The uh, the land which we pass through to spy it out is an exceedingly good land. If the Lord delights in us, he will bring us into the land and give it to us, a land that flows with milk and honey. Only do not rebel against the Lord and do not fear the, the people of the land, for they are bread for us. Their protection is removed from them. And the Lord is with us. Do not fear them. Then all the congregation said to stone them with stones, but the glory of the Lord appeared at the tent of the meeting to all the people of Israel, and the Lord said to Moses, how long will this people despise me? So their disobedience and their unbelief is really just showing, hey, they're despising God. That's how God sees it. And how long will they not believe in me in spite of all the signs that I have uh, done among them? I will strike them with the pestilence and disinherit them and I will make of you a nation greater and mightier than they. This is the word of the Lord to us this morning. A couple of thoughts before we start kind of working through the notes. Here's the first one. If I, if I were to ask you, who are the names of those who gave the report of fear I don't think anybody here could name any of those. But if I were to ask you who gave the report of faith, I think most would know who their names are. There's two of them. Anybody? Yeah, Joshua and Caleb. And and the point is, is that no one remembers the names of, of critics who say it can't be done. Typically, critics don't leave a legacy, okay? They don't make an impact. The two guys that make an impact are the ones that, yes, we can do this, those that have faith in God. Another good point is that negative attitudes are contagious. Did you notice how it was so contagious throughout the whole crowd? And it also tells us another thing too, that the majority report is negative. The majority report is negative. The popular vote is typically wrong. We see that in our culture today. It's almost always wrong. If you go with the crowd, you're not going to make it into the promised land. If you go with what's most popular, are you going to go along with the crowd? In our culture today, as they saw in in this day and time, they weren't going to make it into the promised land. And uh, there will always be more fearful, fretful, naysayers, and negative people than there are positive people. Always. And when you look around and you start listening to the voices that are out there, you need to be careful who are you listening to? Who are you paying attention to? Who's important to listen to? Now, here's the sad thing about it, is that a whole generation went back into the wilderness, wandered around in the wilderness, and died in the wilderness, and never made it into the promised land. I don't want that to happen to you. You could spend your whole Christian life wandering around in the wilderness and never really experience the land uh, flowing with milk and honey, which is a Old Testament picture of the New Testament principle of fullness of life through Jesus Christ. In other words, you can live way below your potential, your privilege, what God has provided for us through Jesus Christ. And I don't want that to happen to you. I mean, so there's some really significant lessons here as we head into 2016, we're right in the doorway of heading into a brand new year. So, so as I kind of prepare us for this, entering into our promised land for 2016, what God has for us, I mean, I think there's something really important for us to learn here. So what is faith? Here's your first fill in the blank. It is seeing from God's perspective. The Old Testament uh, word for faith really is wisdom. You know, when you look through the wisdom literature, it's seeing and responding to life from God's perspective. That's what wisdom is. But to have wisdom, you need to have faith. Faith is about wisdom. And uh, you'll notice also I gave you the actual definition. Hebrews 11.1 1 gives us a definition of faith. You want to know what faith is? Now, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. If you have your uh, notes there, circle not seen or underline those two words, not seen. The conviction of things not seen. We need to talk a little bit about that. So it's seeing from God's perspective. Jesus said, in uh, Matthew thirteen thirteen, and he's talking about the Pharisees. Now, these are the religious leaders of, of his day and time. were highly esteemed. And he's talking about the, the Pharisees, and he says, seeing, they don't see. Hearing, they don't hear. What? What is he talking about? He's saying there's two kinds of seeing and hearing. So you can see with your eyes, your physical eyes, and you can hear with your physical ears, but there is a seeing and a hearing spiritually that you need to have that's what he's talking about, and that's what faith is. It's seeing from God's perspective. There's a great verse, and these are on your notes. Not you know, just the addresses, not the verses. But so Second Corinthians four seventeen through eighteen, and this is what it says: For our light and momentary trials. How many have ever called your trials light and momentary? Anybody? How, would you like it if I came up to you after you just had a loss of a loved one or you're battling cancer or any number of tra- you know, tragedies in your life and I came up and said, ah, oh, light and momentary, get over it. That wouldn't be very nice, would it? And yet the Bible actually says you're light and momentary trials. So that's not really appropriate at the time, but eventually, hopefully, you begin to gain an eternal perspective and as it says there, our light and momentary trials are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them. And what he's saying is that, man, the moment we step into heaven and look into the face of the one who would rather die than to live all eternity without us. Oh my goodness, it'll wipe out a thousand years of suffering. None of us will have a thousand years of suffering because we won't live a thousand years. But my goodness, to look into his face, we will go, oh, light and momentary. That was nothing compared to what I'm experiencing now. And I think we get glimpses of it on this side. I really do. And so we get those glimpses of it that helps us to get through the difficulties, but our light momentary trials are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. And then he goes on in the next verse, he says, because we don't look at the things that are seen, but we look at the things that are unseen. So he's talking about faith there. Because the things that are seen are temporary. This table up here, it's temporary. You know, our bodies, they're temporary. I don't know if you noticed lately, but your body's little by little falling apart. And that's what it says. These bodies aren't going to last. This isn't going to last. But the things that are, are eternal are things that are unseen. The Holy Spirit is here. And he's eternal. And the fact that we have the Holy Spirit living within us and the fact that we, we have a soul that's, that's eternal. And so those are the things that are going to go on forever. And that's the point. And then a little bit further down in the next chapter, he says, so we live by faith and not by what? By sight. So we live by faith and not by sight. A couple examples here of this uh, seeing from God's perspective. A couple of my favorite. There's, there's a ton of examples throughout Scripture. Second Kings chapter 6, verses 16 through 17. You don't, don't need to turn there. Let me just tell you the story here, kind of give you a paraphrased version of it. The servant of the prophet Elisha has, is having an anxiety attack because the city is surrounded by an enemy nation, chariots and horses. He's having this anxiety attack, and he goes to the, the prophet Elisha and says, what are we gonna do? And Elisha says, hey, calm down, don't be afraid, for those who are with us are more than those who are with them. So Elisha was speaking from, from seeing with eyes of faith, and then Elisha prays for him and, uh, and asks God to open his eyes, open the eyes of my servant and his eyes are opened and immediately he sees around the mountains these flaming chariots and horses, these angel, this angel army that's much greater than the armies that are coming against them and then he's calmed down. How many are familiar with that story? really a fascinating story. So those are eyes of, of faith. He's seeing from God's perspective. Another story is found in Luke 24, 31, where the two disciples on the road to Emmaus. You guys familiar with that story? How many are familiar with that story? It's, it's another fascinating story. So this is, uh, this is after the resurrection of Christ, though they don't know where Christ is. They don't even know that he's been resurrected. They know that the tomb is empty. And um they're pretty despondent. They're in despair because they just watched their Messiah be crucified, and now the tomb is empty. They're not sure if somebody stole the body. And so these two disciples are walking on the road to Emmaus, and suddenly there's a guy that appears and starts walking with them. And then this guy begins to say, Hey, are you guys so foolish? Don't you understand that the Messiah was supposed to? And he begins to walk them through the Old Testament, Moses and prophets, their writings, and say, this was, this was all supposed to happen. So he takes them through the scripture about how it all points to Jesus ultimately. And then they sit down for a meal. And as this guy is praying, immediately their eyes are opened up and they realize, this is Jesus. Jesus is here. And they're overwhelmed by that. Now, there's a couple. Lessons, I believe, that come from both of those stories. Here's one lesson is that much of our anxiety is a failure to, to have eyes of faith that since God is for us, who can be against us? Much of our anxiety is a failure to have eyes of faith, and we need to have our eyes opened and to realize that if God is for me, who can be against me? And, and many times, another lesson, I think, is that much of our depression and sadness is a failure to, to have eyes of faith that just because we can't see or imagine a good reason why God might allow something to happen, it doesn't mean there can't be one. In fact, there's probably a thousand reasons why God allows things. Because little did they know that uh, they had no idea that they had witnessed the greatest act of salvation in history at the crucifixion of their, their Messiah, their Savior, who was resurrected from the grave to conquer sin, death, hell the grave. I mean it was just totally amazing, but they needed eyes of faith. Take a look at your notes, next fill in the blank. So faith is not a feeling, a force or a formula, but fellowship with God. Let me kind of walk you through each one of these here. So faith is not a feeling. It's not a, it's not a desire or wishful thinking. There's a lot of things, you know, you might wish would happen, but that doesn't mean it's faith. And feelings come and go. And just because you feel that God's nowhere to be found doesn't mean that He's not there working. Okay, does that make sense? Because you're going to have a lot of times you're going to feel like God's nowhere to nowhere around, but He's there. He promised to be there for us. You base it on God's word. Um, it's not a force either. It's not pretending something is true that is not true. My wife and I were channel surfing one night, and we came across a Christian uh, TV station where this guy was teaching everybody how to speak to their wallet. I don't have my wallet up here, but he was, speak to your wallet, and he was kind of doing one of these cadence, he was actually teaching everybody do this, money, come to me now, and he says, I do that six times every morning, and man, I've never been wealthier, is what the guy said, and um, so I tried it, and it didn't work, but uh, I'm kidding, of course, they would say, well, you didn't have enough faith. But see, what they're defining, faith is a force and your words are a container of that force and you can speak to things and things will happen. Well, that's simply not true. That's not biblical. That's not what faith is. Faith is not a feeling. It's not a force. Nor is it a formula of bargaining with God. God, if I do this, then you'll do that. And if, that's not faith. Faith is fellowship. It's relationship. How does faith grow, by the way? Do you guys know how faith grows? Anybody? Yell it out to me. By being obedient, that's good. But yeah, by the Word of God. In fact, I've got it right here. It's, uh, it grows. Romans 10 17. Faith comes by hearing, hearing the Word of God. Word of God, interacting with God, having God speak to you, talking to Him, Him talking to you. But guess what? Guess, guess how else it, uh, it grows? You're not going to like this one. <laughs> Suffering. In fact, that's the next verse there. James 1 2 through 4. Count it all joy when you encounter trials of various kinds because of the testing of your what? Okay. Faith. Oh. <laughs> You're welcome. <laughs> yes. You've got to go through hard times. You don't know the quality of your faith until you go through hard times. And in, in, so it gives you an opportunity to really test your faith. So now, let's take a look at this contrast between eyes of fear, eyes of faith. Because you're going to approach 2016 with one or the other, or maybe kind of both going back and forth, but I want you to approach it with eyes of faith. But let's first of all look at eyes of fear, and I'm going to reread some of the texts that we looked at. Eyes of fear, first of all, number one, overestimate difficulties. Did you notice that in chapter 13, verses 27 through 28? 28. It says, it flows with milk and honey. However, the people who dwell in the land are strong and the cities are fortified and very large. Verses 31 and 32 of that same chapter, chapter 13, he says, we are not able to go up against the people for they are stronger than we are. The land devours its inheritance and all the people that we saw in it are of great height. You know what's so crazy about this is that they had just defeated the greatest nation on the earth, Egypt and Pharaoh. Pharaoh. And now they're coming up against smaller nations and they're overwhelmed by that. So it shows, shows their lack of, uh, really their lack of faith. Suffering helps us to see that not only we are not in control of our lives, but we never were, Okay. So when we go through suffering, it, it shows us that you're, that you're not in control and you never were in control of your life. And, and another thing that suffering does when we go through difficulties and, and obstacles is that suffering drives you into God and shows you resources you never knew you had and never knew you needed. Everybody look up here just for a minute. You got to get this. The Christian life is a totally impossible life to live. It's, it's not a natural life. It's a supernatural life. You can't Pull this off on your own. You're totally dependent upon Christ. Oh, and by the way, oftentimes I've heard people say, well, he'll never, he'll never allow me to experience anything that's beyond my ability to get through. That's not true. Yes, he will. Because he's wanting to drive your heart closer to his because that sweet spot of total dependency upon him only comes as a result of difficulties and suffering. When the odds are against you and you go, oh my goodness, I need help. Yes. Absolutely, you need help. You need Christ. You, you, and most of the time, we kind of think we can do it without him. But the fact is, is that we can't. And so that's where they are. But they have eyes of fear, and they, they fail to add God to the equation. Here's the next thing it does. It underestimates our abilities. So it overestimates difficulties, kind of blows them out of proportion. But it, but it fails to add God into the equation, but it underestimates our abilities. Uh, chapter 13, verse 33 says, And there we saw the Nephilim, and we seemed to ourselves like grasshoppers, and so we seemed to them. Did you notice that? So th- this is their uh, perspective of themselves. We, 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 we felt small. I feel so small. I feel so small when I'm around certain people. And not only that, they see me as very small. Well, that's called Projection. You know, projection is we project our fears on others. And what's fascinating about this story is that according to Joshua chapter 2, the inhabitants were actually frightened to death of the Israelites because they had heard how God had delivered them from Egypt and dried up the Red Sea. So they're projecting their fears on these people, and these people are actually frightened to death of them, but and they're frightened to death of these people, which is really a fascinating dilemma here. And um And and as I was thinking about this, I was thinking about our own lives, is that here they had the status of God's children, but the mindset of slaves. See, they had been in slavery for over 400 years, and that was still their, their primary identity. Their primary identity was that we're slaves. And so they saw their life like that, and they also looked at their obstacles with that perspective, with that mindset. I was thinking about my own life. I was thinking about many people's lives here that uh, maybe you grew up and you had parents or you, maybe you have had a partner or maybe you have co-workers or people that said, said things to you that were reckless. And the Bible says, Proverbs says, reckless words pierce like a sword. Maybe they said, ah, you're ugly or you won't amount to anything or you're uncoordinated or you're stupid And that became kind of your primary identity. And then you begin to look at life and the obstacles of life through that lens. That's what they're doing. And that might maybe what you're doing. I'll never forget, I uh, was in the sixth grade and a teacher called me and about two or three other students into, you know, after class and basically said in a roundabout way, you guys are idiots, because if you would have taken this test that we just took, this multiple choice, if you would have just guessed at these answers, you would have scored a higher point, you know, uh, you would have scored higher on the test than what you did by actually trying to answer these appropriately. And he just, and and what's interesting about it is that I can still remember that. It hurt as being in the sixth grade. And I know that that stayed with me for a season. And there's a number of other things that people had said to me that became a part of my, kind of my primary identity rather than I'm a child of God and who I am in Him. And that's what's going on. We underestimate our abilities. Number three, I mean, you can see the progression here. These are progressively getting worse and they're interrelated. They throw pity parties. Eyes of fear throw pity parties. Verse, uh, chapter fourteen, verse one. Then all the congregation raised a loud voice, and the people wept that night. I mean, they they cried all night long. They had a party. Isn't that interesting? Now, what's interesting, uh, really, about this is that there's two sides of, uh, of uh, the, there are two sides of the same coin of pride. There's two sides to the same coin called pride or self-absorption. One is boasting, and the other one is self-pity. Boasting basically says, I deserve admiration because of how much I've accomplished. Look at me, folks. And then self-pity is that same, you know, the same coin on the other side. It's I deserve admiration because of how much I'm suffering. Self-pity and uh, and boasting. Boasting and self-pity is a sign of insecurity. And also, highly critical people or highly insecure people. That takes us to the next point. Number four, grumble against God and question his providence. That's what they were doing. By the way, so this pride or self-absorption is a result. We talked about it a few weeks ago, conceit. Remember the word conceit means vainglory? We're conceited, so we're going to boast or have self-pity And be self-absorbed because we're empty of glory. We're empty of our true identity in Christ and what he says about us and who we are. And, of course, that leads to this grumbling against God. And we question his providence. Verse 2 of chapter 14. And all the people of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron. And the whole congregation said to them, would that we had died in the land of Egypt? Or would that we had died in this wilderness? And... um, so they're just showing a, a lack of trust. Trust is accepting what God sends into your life whether you understand it or not. How many of you have ever had things in your life that came into your life and you, they, they to this day they still boggle your mind? Show of hands? And you're just like, wow, wow, why did this happen? I had hoped for something better than this and I still can't figure it out. But trust is accepting what God sends into your life whether you understand it or not. And, and we don't trust God because we see his hand in our circumstances. We trust him because we see, we see his heart on the cross. We see his love for us. We see his word that says, you know what? I'm still working. I'm still in control. I still have your best interest at heart. You need to, to live by faith and not by sight. And that's what he's wanting us to understand An abiding spirit of gratitude is evidence of trust in God. How do I know that I'm trusting God? I'm going to have an abiding spirit of gratitude regardless of what's going on in my life. That's why it tells us in Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, trust in the Lord with all of your heart and don't lean where? On your own understanding. But in all your ways acknowledge him, have intimacy with him, and he will direct your paths. You can trust his loving, wise control of your life. That's part of it. But they couldn't. They grumbled. So grumbling is a part of that. And they questioned God's providence. And eventually, you're going to throw in the towel. Eventually, you're going to give up. So eyes of fear eventually gives up. You become discouraged, despondent, disillusioned about life. If you are discouraged, despondent, and disillusioned about your life or your marriage or your finances or any number of things in your life, it's because you've walked this path here. You've overestimated difficulties, you're underestimating your abilities, you're throwing a pity party, you're grumbling against God and questioning his providence, and therefore you're going to throw the towel. You're going to say, what's the use? Why is the Lord bringing us into this land? This is chapter 14, verse 3 of our text. Why is he doing this so that we fall by the sword? Our wives and our little ones will become a prey. Would it not be better for us to go back to Egypt? I mean, that's crazy. Let me ask you this question. What is Satan's number one target? If he's going to take you down, if he's going to take you out and keep you from the promised land, the land flowing with milk and honey in 2016, how is he going to take you out? Got it. He's the father of lies. He's going to go. He does, you know, a lot of times people kind of look for him like he's going to leave fang marks on the skin. No, he's going to leave lies in the heart. He's going to leave lies in the heart. He's the father of lies, John eight forty four. Not only that, it tells us in 2 Corinthians 4, 4, that he blinds the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel, the glory of Christ. So he blinds minds of unbelievers to see the, keep them from seeing the beauty and the glory of Christ. How many times have you shared Christ with someone only for them to go, they kind of yawn and go, yeah, whatever, whatever works for you. It's because they don't have eyes to see. They're blinded by Satan, is what, it's, what the Bible tells us. The God of this world. And then but so how does he take out Christians? Well, 2 Corinthians 11.3. Paul says that I'm afraid that just as Eve was deceived by the serpent's cunning. That somehow your, your minds may be led astray from your sincere and pure devotion to Christ. You know what he's going to do? He's going to create some sort of complacency within you. Your passion is going to be greater for something in creation than it is for the creator. And before long... Complacency leads to compromise. Compromise is going to lead to some chaos. It's going to keep you out of the promised land. It's going to keep you out of what God has in store for you. And that's why it tells us in 2 Corinthians ten three is to take every thought captive and bring it into the obedience of Jesus Christ. That's why we just finished a study in Galatians where it said, sow to the spirit, you'll reap eternal life. If you sow to the flesh, you're going to reap destruction. And so this whole idea of eyes of fear, that's so into the flesh. That's destructive. Whole generation wandered around in the wilderness for 40 years, never made it into the promised land. I do not want that to happen to you or me. So how can we have eyes of faith? Here it is, number one. Eyes of faith shrinks my difficulties. Shrinks my difficulties. Chapter 14, verse 9 and do not fear the people of the land, for they are bread for us. Did you hear how he said that? He's almost making light of it. them. It's just a snack. We can take them, we'll eat them for, for dinner, we'll eat them for lunch. Their protection is removed from them, and the Lord is with us. Do not fear them. Genesis 18, 14 says, is anything too hard for the Lord? Luke 1, 37 says, for nothing is impossible with God. So big view of God equals a small view of your problems. If your problems right now are overwhelming, it's because you have a small view of God. If you're being overwhelmed by your trials and what you're facing as we head into 2016, if you're being overtaken by temptations because you have a small view of God. So, how do you correct that? You got to get to know Him, spend time with Him, study God's Word, ask God to open the eyes of your heart so that you can begin to see into the spiritual realm and see that God is for you, not against you, that Jesus is with you. As those two on the road to Emmaus, they immediately said, Whoa, this is amazing! Jesus is here! And that's what we need for our lives. Number two, increases our abilities. Eyes of faith shrinks my difficulties, but number two, it increases my abilities. Increases my potential, my privilege, what I have in Christ. Chapter 13, verse 30. But Caleb quieted the people before Moses and said, Let us go up at once and occupy it. For we are well able to overcome it. How many are familiar with Philippians 4 13? It's a great verse. I can do all things through who? Who does what? Through Christ who strengthens me. That's oftentimes misquoted, and it, this does not mean that you can do whatever you set your mind to do, okay? Because if you're a full-grown man and you're only five foot and weigh 98 pounds, you'll probably never be a linebacker for Arizona Cardinals no matter how much, how much you know, you set your mind to it. It's not going to happen. But that's our culture. If you, oftentimes you hear people say, you can become whatever you set your mind to. That's not what that verse is saying, what that verse uh, really means is that God's presence in your life will empower you to be what he has called you to be and to do what he's called you to do it's going to be consistent with who you are does that make sense just that's logic and it's bible and it's you know it's it's just it's what the bible teaches and by the way it's actually more about contentment because Paul wrote that while he was in prison he's just saying you know what Jesus is more than enough, and you can find contentment and completeness no matter what your circumstances are. That's what he's talking about more than anything. It doesn't matter where you might be. You can find contentment and completeness. And your problems aren't going to be too much for you to be able to deal with. In fact, people are going to infer from your life when they look at your life as you're going through difficulties that God is more desirable, more satisfying than all that life can give or death can ever take away from you. That's what they're going to infer from your life. That's what that means more than anything. Increases your abilities. But also, number three, claims God's promises. So eyes of faith, shrinks my difficulties, increases my abilities. Number three, claims God's promises. Look at verse uh, 8. Of chapter 14, if the Lord delights in us, that's, I love that. It actually means since the Lord delights in us, that's actually what it means. It's almost like, hey, God delights in us. He delights in me. Do you believe that he delights in you? I mean, think about that just for a minute. Do you, do you realize he delights in you? He loves you, he delights in you, and he gave his life for you. How much more value or worth do you need? I mean, that's enough to get you through anything. And that's what he's saying. He's reaffirming to you. Hey, listen, we're God's children. He delights in us. He loves us. He adores us. And he says, and he will bring us into this land and give it to us, a land that flows with milk and honey. 2 Corinthians 1.20 says, for all the promises of God find their yes in him, in Jesus. Do you know how many promises there are in the Bible? Turn to the person next to you and see if they know how many promises there are in the Bible in regards to us. Real quick, do that. Okay, what are you guys thinking? How many promises are in the Bible in regards to us as God's children? How many are thinking like uh, 20 or 30? Anybody, no? Okay, more than that. How many would say more than that? Okay, how many are thinking like three, four hundred, five hundred? Okay, okay, that's that's a good guess. Actually, how many are thinking thousands? Yeah, actually, it's more like six to seven thousand promises in the Bible regarding us. So let me ask you, how many of those can you name? Well, no wonder. I mean, no wonder, I mean, do, is it any wonder why we struggle oftentimes in our life? Because we're not claiming the promises of God. We're not cashing in. It's, they're almost like blank checks. He's saying, hey, here's what I'm going to do. Oh, and by the way, I'm going to do this for you. Oh, and by the way, this is who you are. And oh, by the way, I mean, there's just one after the other. It's just, it's absolutely fascinating. We just, we've read a couple of the promises. One of them is that he delights in us. Another promise that we read up here in uh, chapter 14, verse 9. And, uh, and in fact, it's something you've heard me repeat time and time again this last year in 2015 what's the most frequent command in the Bible don't be afraid what's the most frequent promise in the Bible I am with you didn't you read that didn't he just say that in chapter 14 verse 9 their protection is removed from them and the Lord is with us do not fear them most frequent command in the Bible don't be afraid most frequent promise in the Bible I will be with you is that crazy? And you can't earn that. And you can't unearn that. That's by faith. You put your faith in Jesus, boom, it's yours. You live in the reality of that. You live in the reality of that. And that's our problem. We don't, because if I, if I believe that Jesus is with me, his presence is more powerful than anything I face, I could, I could take on the world, And you can see the distinction between these eyes of fear versus eyes of faith. And so we need to claim God's promises, and then we need to obey God's commands. 14.9, only do not rebel against the Lord. So let me ask you this. Are you willing to obey whatever God says about every area of your life, no matter how you feel about it? And do you understand that when God speaks what he speaks and he gives us these commandments in his word, it's it's out of his love and it's out of his wisdom. Knowing how he created us, knowing our weaknesses and strengths, he wants to protect us from the worst and provide the very best for us. And so when we live a life that's outside of his commands, in essence, we are trampling on his love and wisdom. We're saying, you know, as, as it says here, these people despise me. They're not obeying me. They despise me. See, our unbelief, and when we live outside of his directives, is that we are showing that we despise God. We don't honor him. We don't love him. We're not experiencing his love for us. He says, only do not rebel against the Lord. You you really don't believe he loves you and has your best interest at heart when you when you disobey him. And we're going to do a we're kicking off a brand new teaching series next weekend. We're calling it reboot. How many know what I, I'm talking about when I say reboot? Reboot. How many have ever had to reboot your computer? Why ha, why did you have to reboot your computer? Because it got stuck. Yes, and it was a mess, and it was slow, and it was sluggish, and it was like, yeah, and so what do you do? You reboot, and the subtitle of this series is Restore to Original Settings. How many would say that from time, from time to time, you need to reboot your life? Yes, we're going to do that. We're going to spend six weeks rebooting our lives. And part of that is obeying God's word. What does God's word have to say about our lives spiritually? Next week we'll talk spiritually, emotionally, physically, financially, sexually, relationally. We're going to look at all those areas. That's where we're headed. And, that's, and some of that is certainly about obeying God's commands for our lives. And then number five, expects great things from God. Expects great things from God. So we're talking about seeing with eyes of faith. Chapter 14, verse 8. If the Lord delights in us, he will bring us into this land and give it to us. A land that flows with milk and honey. Now, I gave you the second part of the definition of faith. Now, let me give you the first part of it. It's right there on your notes, Hebrews 11.1. We we kind of emphasize the second part, but here's the... The first part emphasizes 11.1. It says, now faith is the assurance of things hoped for. The word hope in the Bible is not how we use it. We use it as wishful thinking. I hope that happens. It's kind of wishful thinking. But but hope in the Bible is confident, joyful expectation. In other words, it's going to happen. It's going to happen. This is going to happen because God promised it in his word, and that's how I'm living. I'm living in regards to what what he says. Let me ask you this. Are there problems or limitations in your life that you think are too big for God to remove or for you to get through? Are there issues that you're currently facing as you head into, into 2016? Is it financial, relational? Is it physical? What are the obstacles you're facing? Do you think that those are too big for God to help you get through those things? Came across an interesting story. <clears throat> A number of years ago, I appreciated the story because I think it helps us to understand what it means to expect great things from God. It's called The Optimist. There's a story of identical twins. One was a hope-filled optimist. Everything is coming up roses, he would say. The other was a sad, hopeless pessimist. He thought that Murphy, as in Murphy's Law, was an optimist. <laughs> the, worried, the worried parents of the boys brought them to the local psychologist. He suggested to the parents... Uh, He suggested to the parents a plan to balance the twins' personalities. On their next birthday, put them in separate rooms to open their gifts. Give the pessimist the best toys you can afford and give the optimist a box of manure." The parents followed these instructions and carefully observed the results. When they peeked in on the pessimist, they heard him audibly complaining, I don't like the color of this computer. I'll bet this calculator will break. I don't like this game. I know someone who's got a bigger toy car than this. Tiptoeing across the corridor, the parents peeked in and saw their little optimist gleefully throwing the manure in the air. (laughs) And he was giggling. You can't fool me. Where there's this much manure, there's got to be a pony. <laughs> and so you might be finishing up 2015 with a load of manure. And, uh, and if you have eyes of faith, you can expect great things from God. With this much manure, there's got to be a pony somewhere here. God's doing something wonderful because he's going to work this out for my good and his glory. See, and that's that Romans 8.28. That's that Genesis 50.20 promise. It's taking that promise saying, you know what, this is a mess right now, but you know what, God's going to take it and work it for my good and his, his glory. A couple last verses before we wrap it up. Matthew 13.58, it says, Jesus could not do many miracles in his hometown because of what? So Unbelief. Unbelief. 2016, you're not going to see many miracles if you have unbelief. But if you begin to put your faith in Jesus, you're going to see some pretty phenomenal things begin to take place in your life. It's what the Bible tells us. Matthew 7, 7 through 11, I love that verse because it says, if you, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more does your Father in heaven love to give us good gifts? How many of you that are parents or grandparents or adults just love to see kids open up gifts, love to give good gifts to kids? Oh, my goodness, I absolutely love that. We, we did a lot of that. And I'm thinking, I enjoy that so much. And the Bible says, even more so, does your Father in heaven love to give us good gifts, and good things. And, and that, that's totally amazing. One last story here. <clears throat> this is from Max Licato's book, God Came Near, the first chapter, Eyewitnesses of His Majesty. For 51 years, Bob Edens was blind. He couldn't see a thing. His world was a black hole, of sounds and smells. He felt his way through five decades of darkness. And then, and then he could see a skilled surgeon performed a complicated operation. And for the first time, Bob Edens had sight. He found it overwhelming. I never would have dreamed that yellow is so yellow. (laughs) But red is my favorite color. I just, I can't believe red I can see the shape of the moon and, and I like nothing better than seeing a jet plane flying across the sky leaving a vapor trail and of course sunrises and sunsets and, and at night I look at the stars in the sky and the flashing light. You could never know how wonderful everything is. You could never know how wonderful everything is and if that's true In the physical realm, that's even more true in the spiritual. You can never know how wonderful everything is when you have eyes of faith. When you have eyes of faith and you begin to see the invisible hand of God and you hear the inaudible voice of God and you experience the inexplicable yet undeniable presence of God in your life. Take a look at your notes, so what do I need to do here? What do you need to do to pray to become a Christian? Well, John 3, 3 says, unless you are born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. So you've got to put your faith in Jesus as it tells us in Romans 3, or John John 3, 16. Romans 10, 9 and 10 says, if we confess with our mouth, Jesus the Lord, believe in our heart, then we'll be saved. So that's what you need to do this morning as we pray. Put your faith in Jesus. There'll there'll be a regeneration. If you believe that and you're sincere in your heart and you say, man, I want to believe. God. He'll open your eyes. You'll begin to see things in your life unlike you've ever experienced before. What do we need to do as believers? We need to pray Ephesians 1, 17 through 19. Open the eyes of our heart. That was a prayer for believers who were saved, and yet oftentimes we kind of walk around stumbling in the dark, and we need to have the eyes of our heart opened up, and that's what we're going to do. Would you bow your heads with me? Let's pray. I want to give you an opportunity if you're, you're not a believer to make a confession of faith in Jesus. As it tells us in John 3, 16, for God so loved us so much he gave his son. Whoever believes in him, put your faith in him. How do you do that? You do that by acknowledging your sin, believing that Jesus Christ died on the cross for your sins and confessing him as your savior and your Lord. You do that by prayer through faith. God, I pray for those that need to do that, maybe for the first time, that they would do that this morning. And I pray for those of us that are believers that you give us a spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of Christ, open the eyes of our hearts that we may know the hope to which you have called us, the incredible inheritance of fullness of life you have given to us in your resurrection power working in us and through us and for us. May we have a daring faith for 2016 that shrinks our difficulties, increases our abilities, claims our promises, obeys your commands and expects great things from you, God. And we pray all of these things for your glory in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. Amen. Love you guys. Have a happy new year.